it's really good to be back with you guys um, and have this opportunity. And before I get to my message, let me, let me add to what John said. Thank you so much for you as a congregation supporting him on this sabbatical. Uh, there's a joke that goes around often about pastors that we only work one day a week. And so what a cush job. But, but let me tell you, uh, as a pastor that's been in ministry for decades, uh, it's not a cush job. There's never a day off. Even if you have a day off, you're still on call. Because any emergency that anybody in the congregation has eliminates that day off and you go respond to it. And you say, well, you can take off another day, but chances are that never happens. And so ministry is hard. And uh, we, don't, we, we do it because we're called to it. And John has faithfully served this church for over 11 years. And I just thank you so much for allowing him this opportunity. My prayer is that he will come back completely refreshed and restored with energy to take this church to another level. Um, It it happened for me, and I'll tell you firsthand, um, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I called our superintendent, who was Steve Fitch at the time, and he was a friend of mine, so I said, Steve, can, can we get together and have some lunch? And we sat down, and within five minutes... Uh, he hadn't said a word. He just listened. And if you know Steve, I think he's going to actually be speaking here sometime this summer. If you know Steve, he's never lacking for words. And I finally said, hey, man, you're kind of freaking me out here. What's going on? And he says, you need to go on a sabbatical. And I, and I started backpedaling immediately. It's like, no, no, I'm good. And he says, Gary, if you heard someone say this and this and this and this, what would you say? And I said, I would tell that person they need to go on a sabbatical. He said, you just said all of those things. That sabbatical saved my ministry life. Uh, You heard John say that under construction, we were about 80% done building this building, and it burned to the ground in 35 minutes. And um, it's it's devastating when something like that happens. Um, And we took us 14 months to figure it all out with their insurance company, but it was right before we started rebuilding that I went on sabbatical. And I can tell you that that saved my ministry life. I came back refreshed, restored, renewed, and ready to go. And so we rebuilt it, and it's been flourishing ever since. So, so thank you for, for allowing him that privilege to go. Let me pray um, before I get to the Word. Uh, because I prayed something... Uh, during our prayer time before. And then I heard the worship. And she chose those worship songs for a message that I'm not going to preach. But they fit better for this message than they would have that one. So it's clear to me that God's got something going here this morning. So let me pray and put this time before him. Father, thank you. Sometimes in all of our planning and all of our, our, our things that we try to take care of, you just, you just push those things aside and, and enter in. And Lord, it, it's pretty clear to me that you've done that this morning, just with what's happened so far. And Father, as I prayed back in the room with the, with the team, I'll pray now, may we be different when we leave than when we came, because we've been in your presence in the presence of worship, in the presence of the reading of your word, and in the presence of this community of people that follow you. Lord, speak. 
your words to those that are here. Whatever they came in with, whatever's going on, whatever they're trying to hide, whatever they're trying to ignore, break through with love and speak to them. Lord, we want to continue to to be changed daily, to be more and more and more like your son, Jesus. So have your way this morning. I pray you'd anoint these words that I'm about to speak and use them for your kingdom. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning I want to talk about a changed life. And the tendency can be when a pastor goes on sabbatical, is the church takes some time off. Let me encourage you to please not do that. In the same way that God's got something in store for John and Lisa, he's got something in store for this church. Keep changing through the reading of his word. Keep changing through praying. Keep changing by inviting people to come to this church. It's not about Pastor John. It really isn't. It's about Jesus. So even though he's not here, keep inviting people to come. When I came back off my sabbatical, I was welcomed at the door by a man that shook my hand and said, are you new here? (laughs) And I said, well, kind of. And he said, welcome. This is a great church. You're going to love it. I said, well, I hope I do. He said, I don't know who the, the pastor is here, but this is a great church. I looked at him, the whole message I taught when I stood up. (laughs) No, but it's great. People started coming to the church while I was gone that didn't even know who I was. So let that be so for this church. So this morning I'm going to talk about four people whose lives were changed. One was changed because he was possessed by something. One didn't want the change out of fear. One wanted the change for someone else. And one was looking for change because they tried everything else and out of desperation, Jesus was the last resort. Open your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to walk through these situations uh, by looking through his word. So Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones." Now let me orient you to where this is taking place. If you can put the map up of the Sea of Galilee. The lake that that Mark is referring to is the Sea of Galilee. And if you look on the right-hand side, on the eastern side, you probably can't see it, but that's a pig. (laughs) That's where this story is taking place. Now some people, some scholars feel like it was taking place a little further south. But hey, I'm not doing that, but it's happening. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> you should have told me you were going to do that. I, was, I would have said, watch this. <laughs> so it's, it's really important when you read your word 
that you orient yourself because these are real places. These are real situations. I've had the privilege to go to Israel five times. And when I open the word and start reading it, I close my eyes and I see it. I can tell you exactly where that's at. I can tell you about the hill that's right there. In a minute when it says he gets in the boat and goes to the other side, I can tell you where he went. And I don't just read it in his word, I see it. It's powerful. And, and if any of you are interested in going to Israel, I'm taking a group in May or March of 2013. So if you're interested, you're listening. <laughs> in 2018, March of 2018, I'm going to take a group. And so we have, we have reserved 30 spots, and I think there's 9 or 11 left. So see me if you're interested, and I'll give you a flower and give you some information. So this is where that situation that Jesus is, that Mark's referring to, took place. Now, have you ever been exposed to a demon? The first time, whoo, first time I was ever exposed to a demon was on a trip to Tanzania with Don Rogers, and we're, this is when, I don't even know if it was empowering lives yet. Don was working at this church. I was working at this church. And, and we went to Tanzania. And we had this crusade in the middle of this field in the middle of nowhere. And, and all these people came out. And this one woman was kind of standing over at the edge. And, and after we were deal, done dealing with all these other people, she said, would you come with me to my hut? Sure, what's going on? And she told us that her young son had been really sick, and she had tried everything, doctors and everything else. And so she finally took him to the local witch doctor and said, can you help my boy? So the witch doctor had this boy for about six months. And when she got him back from the witch doctor, he no longer could speak. All he could do is growl, and he mostly crawled around on the ground. So we walk into this hut, and it's dark, and, it's, and, and this little kid that probably weighed about 50 pounds, maybe 40 pounds, is laying on this table. And so we walk in, and, and all of a sudden, the closer we got, the more he started growling and spitting. And this is new for someone like myself. I'd never experienced this before. I never had a kid growl at me and spit at me, um, although, although Buzzy did that a couple of times. <laughs> See, some of you know Buzzy, so you, you, you understand that. So, so we walk in, and so we go over, and we, we, we put hands on this kid. Now, he weighs 40, 50 pounds. I weigh over 150. And so there's four or five of us, and we cannot hold this kid down. He is flinging us around like we're rag dolls. And my wife is standing over in the corner, and she says, you won't handle spiritual with physical strength. And it's like... Oh, yeah, at least somebody's aware of what's going on. So we all backed off and started praying in the name of Jesus, and the whole situation changed. Everything changed. So Jesus is encountering a man that has terrorized this neighborhood where he lives with screaming and yelling in the tombs and the hills and cutting himself with rocks. And so Jesus gets out of the boat, and here's this guy. So follow along and look at this next verse in verse 6. It says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we were many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the region. Now, the, the, the term legion is a term used by Roman soldiers. And a legion of Roman soldiers is 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So if this guy's declaring his name is legion, believe me, he had a bunch of demons inside of him. We don't know exactly how many, but if it's legion, it could be between 3,000 3, and 6,000. So let me, let me fast forward a little through this because I've got these three situations I want to give you. So Jesus cast the demons into pigs that are on the hill, about 2,000 of those pigs. They run down the hill into the Sea of Galilee. They drowned. The people that were tending the pigs go into town and tell them what's happened. The townspeople come out. Now, pause for a minute. Get the picture. They come out, and they know where this guy's at. They, they probably avoided that spot because this crazy man's out there. And they come and they see this man sitting clothed and in his right mind. Now, you would think that that would cause them to say, wow, look at this changed life. What can happen to our lives? What could happen for us? Look what's happened here. But look at verse 17. It says, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This man had a changed life, fell on his knees before Jesus. They have an opportunity for the same one to come into their village and change their lives completely. And out of fear, they say, Please leave us. Please get out of here. When Jesus changes a life, things change. When I first became a Christian, the people that I had grown up with, my best friends, people that I could spend a weekend with and there would never be a, a, a dull moment or a conversation lacking. When I became a Christian, all those relationships wanted nothing to do with me. Now hear me. I, di I didn't bang them over the head with the Bibles and call out their sin because the very things they were doing, I was doing right before I got saved. All that I did is I quit drinking, I quit doing drugs, and I quit cussing. What I started doing was reading my Bible, praying, and believe it or not, joy had started entering my life. They didn't know what to do with that change. In the same way that these townspeople didn't really know what to do with the change that had taken place in this man. And when we don't know what to do, we try to avoid it, we try to stay away from it if we don't, know, don't understand it or don't want to embrace it. Oftentimes we're feared, afraid of change because of what it might mean to us, what we may have to give up. Actually, the focus should be what we might get in a changed life. So I did exactly what Jesus told this man to do. In verse 19, he said, Go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has mercy on you. There might be some of you here that are curious because a family member or friend has done this church thing, this Jesus thing, and you've kind of been watching from a distance because you don't understand it. Let me encourage you. Jesus is in the life-changing business, and he changes things for good. I've been a Christian for almost 45 years, and I can tell you, man, that life and this life are completely different, and you couldn't pay me enough money to be in that life. This has been a good life these last 45 years. And so Jesus is in that business. So now, put up the, the picture again of the Sea of Galilee. It says he crosses over to the other side. Now, if you see where it says Megdala, Migdal, that area is probably where he would have, a uh, little up. There you go. Probably about right there. Now, if, if the slide were a little further down, you could, where it says St. Peter's Primacy, above that is Capernaum. And we feel like it was probably somewhere between Migdal and Capernaum where this situation took place. Now, it, there's a saying when you go to Israel, if not here, near. Because, you know, we're always looking for that spot, that place. And that place is oftentimes hard to find. So if it's not here, it's near to here, where that took place. And so Jesus goes to the other side. One of the uh, leaders or guides that took us to Israel a couple of times back said he crossed over to the other meat. And you notice they were, eating, they were raising pigs on the other side. Well, a, a good Jewish person isn't going to have anything to do with a pig, so they are now on the other side, or as he was telling us, the other meat. Okay? So he was in Capernaum probably this next story. The synagogue leader, Jairus, was probably the synagogue leader at Capernaum. So he would have been close in proximity. If you, if you decide that you like to take a trip to Israel, I can tell you exactly this is Capernaum. You can go there. You can stand in a synagogue. There's this house that looks like a big spaceship. It's a church, actually. But it's got a glass floor, and you look down at the ruins of where Peter's mother-in-law's house was. You walk out over there to the Sea of Galilee, somewhere right there would have been where Jesus came up and said, hey, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of man. It's amazing opportunities when you, when you can see those places. So this, look at verse 21. This is where we have our next encounter. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, here's another person that's asking for a changed life. But he's asking for someone else. He's asking for his daughter. Now, the interesting thing about this, a synagogue leader would have probably been the last person to ever 
have anything to do with Jesus. They were very opposed to what he was doing and especially when he was doing it. A lot of Jesus' miracles were performed on the Sabbath, which caused big problems for them. And so they would have had problems with him for this synagogue leader to come in front of this crowd and bow down at Jesus' feet in humility would have been unheard of. But think about it. When was the last time you were so desperate for something to happen that you would be willing to do anything? This father, the synagogue leader's 12-year-old daughter, was dying. I imagine he took his pride, he took his theology, he took whatever was holding him back and said, if this can happen, and, and, and think about the faith he spoke out. If you will touch her, she will be healed. Incredible faith for a man that was probably pretty opposed to what, what Jesus stood for. So, so now there's a big crowd, and they've heard it. They've heard the conversation, and Jesus says, okay, let's go. So now the crowd is going to follow them there. I mean, this is their Super Bowl. This is their NBA playoffs. This is the opportunity. I mean, they have nothing else to do. Let's go see a miracle. So they're pressing in. They're probably pressing in tight so they can hear the conversations that go on as they're walking along. And then comes the next person that's looking for something. Look at verse 25. It says, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she, got, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. This woman is desperate. She's a social outcast. Think about it. When a, when a woman was bleeding, even if it was her monthly cycle, during that time, she is unclean. Every place she would sit, that place is unclean. Every place she would lay, that place is unclean. Everyone she touched, that person's unclean. Imagine for 12 years, this woman had been bleeding and was unclean. She's a social outcast. And out of desperation, I mean, she's risking a lot here because if she by chance can reach in and touch his cloak, he's unclean. But out of desperation, we do desperate things during desperate times. One of the places that we visited the last time we were there in Israel, and it was the first time we'd ever visited this place, was called Magdala. And there's this chapel there that is dedicated to the women who were ministered to by Jesus or who helped Jesus' ministry. And we walk into this one room, and I love it when you go a place for the first time because you don't know what to expect. We walk in this one room, and there's one painting on the wall of this room. Nothing else in the room. I've got a picture of the painting. I mean, imagine that painting covering 
more than this wall here. And we just all just stood there. Because I've never seen anyone artistically express what that moment would have looked like. But here you see a hand in desperation, probably on her knees, reaching through the crowd just to touch his garment. My wife and I were so impressed with that painting that we we bought the largest one they sold, and it hangs in our living room uh, now. And I'll just catch myself standing there looking at it. Just an amazing, amazing thing. Look at verse 29. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. Can you imagine her joy? Can you imagine that she doesn't know exactly what, but she knows something's changed, something's happened to her? That touch, that risk has done what she thought it would do instantly and she she's I would imagine she went like that felt like oh my gosh and just kind of tried to blend back out of the crowd but then the question came I mean she's probably standing there amazed and full of joy and and excitement and then the question look at verse 34 or 30 At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. You imagine being that woman, and Jesus is standing there saying, Who touched me? Who touched me? And then he turned, Who touched me? Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, I put myself in her place. If if I had done that and I knew something had happened and I'm now trying to disappear... And he asked, who touched me? I would think, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. He's mad at me. But see, we see something incredible about Jesus here. He's not mad. He's not mad at that woman. He wants to teach that woman a lesson. He wants to teach her a lesson. Look at verse 35. Oh, wait a minute. He wants to teach her that it was her faith. It was her faith that healed her. It was her faith. It's a great lesson for us to remember that our faith is so important. Risking, trusting in the unknown, the unseen, so important. Now, remember, where were they headed? They were headed to Jairus' house because his 12-year-old daughter's dying. I imagine... Jairus is having conflicting emotions. He's probably standing there saying, come on, come on, we got to go. And he's also probably saying, wow. Wow. I have hope 
That no matter what, if he can do that, he can do that. There has to be a lot of encouragement going on in, in Jairus' mind. But then verse 35 happens. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? What seemed like such an incredible possibility a moment ago is now seemingly impossible. Nothing can be done. There's no hope. But Jesus understood, and look at verse 30, says, 36. He says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. So, let me fast forward. He dismisses the crowd. He only takes Peter, James, and John, and Jairus to the house. When they get there, the mourners had already come out. And they're wailing and crying, and, and you may not know this, but they, they would hire professional mourners to come when a person died because the more wailing and crying it meant how much that person was loved. So they're already there. They're crying and, and, and moaning and wailing. And Jesus comes onto the scene And they laugh at him when he says, hey, she's not dead. She's just asleep. She's just sleeping, taking a nap. And they laugh at him. So he gets all of them out of the house. And then with Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John, they go into the room where this girl's at. And Jesus tells her to get up. 42 says, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Another changed life. Each of these situations that we've looked at this morning are probably represented in this room. There's probably some of us here who are still tormented by possessions or being possessed. That possession might be alcohol or drugs. It might be hatred. It might be anger. It might be unforgiveness. Those things can possess us to cause us to feel so disconnected from where Jesus wants us to be. Hear me this morning. If that's you, if you are willing to surrender, maybe even do what each of these three did, but not the group, and get on your knees and say, Father, forgive me for letting myself be so distracted by my anger, my unforgiveness, my pos- being possessed by these elements outside of me. Forgive me and let there be a changed life. There might be some of us here that identify with the crowd, as I mentioned before. You aren't real sure if you buy into this Jesus thing, what you'll have to give up. And as I said before, instead of looking what you might have to give up, look at what you might get. He can restore marriages. If I had the time, I could tell you about the seven hell years that my wife and I spent. That during that time, if you would have seen our marriage, you wouldn't have given us a nickel for it. 
And yet we just celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago, and she's my best friend, and I love her to death. Because God can do a work in brokenness. He can bring healing. You might be asking for someone else. My dad wasn't a I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Both my parents were alcoholics. After I became a Christian, I would spend Saturday, Sunday afternoons over at my dad's house pitching horseshoes. We lived in the south. And I would go over and I had taken this course through the church on evangelism and I knew the questions to ask him and if he answers this way, ask him this one. If he answers that way, ask him this one. And I would be out there playing horseshoes with my dad on a Sunday afternoon and, and I'd say, Dad, if, if you ever died, do you know whether you'd go to heaven or hell? And he would look at me and say, just shut up and play horseshoes, you know, and and I'd say, okay, they didn't give me the answer for shut up and play horseshoes. <laughs> what do I say now? But I did that constantly because I really wanted to see my dad receive the Lord. My dad was the last person I thought would ever receive Christ. So I'm at work one day, and the pastor of the church I was attending calls me up, and this was in the days of visitation. And he said, hey, we're going to go out and visit tonight, and somebody canceled, so we've been praying about it. We thought we'd go visit your dad. This incredible fear hit my heart because it's like, he'll cuss them out and throw them off the porch, you know, or throw a horseshoe at them. Who knows what my dad's going to do? And here's what I told him. This shows you how much faith I had. I said, listen, that's fine if you want to do that. But whatever he does or says to you, you cannot hold against me. Because the great likelihood is you're going to have a door slammed in your face with a lot of cussing going behind it. He says, oh, that's okay. We've been praying. We're going to go. They go up to my dad's front door, knock on the door. They said, hi, Mr. Ennis. We're from the, the church, and uh, we wanted to know if we could come in and have a couple of conversations with you. And he says, yeah, come on in. Miracle number one. <laughs> then he said, Mr. Ennis, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? And he said, nobody can know that. And he said, good news. He didn't tell him to shut up and throw the horseshoe. Good news. And they tell him, within five minutes, my dad is on his knees crying like a baby saying, I need the Lord. You know the thing? A prophet's not known in his own town. Sometimes God, as much as we want our family to know Christ, sometimes it's not going to come through you. But here's my word to you. If you've been praying for another, a parent, a son, a daughter, somebody in your family, never give up. Never give up because God knows who will connect with them even if they say the exact same words that you would say. God knows. So if you, if you are coming for a changed life for another, don't ever give up. And then if you are facing the impossible if what seemingly is just impossible for you, God is the God of possibilities. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. The fact that I am standing on a platform preaching the gospel, if you would tell the people in Rock Hill, South Carolina, that Gary Ennis is the superintendent of a conference in California, and he preached the word... Here's exactly what they'd probably say. 
Heck, I thought he died of drug, drug abuse. He's alive? That's what they would say. And that's probably exactly how they'd say it. Heck and all. God does the amazing. And no matter what our impossibilities are, nothing is impossible for him. This morning, we have a great opportunity to take communion together. Pastor John asked if I would set it up. And here's what I would say to you. We get to come forward this morning and take a piece of bread and a cup. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and a cup. And he talked to his disciples who were sitting there. And here's what, you got to hear me. Please hear me. You know who was at that table? Judas. The guy that Jesus knew was going to betray him. So sometimes we self-eliminate we say, oh man, I've been blowing it. I, I, I can't go. Come. On your way up, say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. And then receive these elements. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and took the bread. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup. And this had to really confuse them. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Now, we know in Scripture it says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But he's talking about a new covenant, a new thing that we understand, but they didn't really grasp it then. So this morning, when you come, you receive that bread, you receive that cup, and you kneel or go back to your seat, but take a minute before you take it and thank him for what he's done for you. Because we all need it. We all need forgiveness. Romans says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous, not even one. And it goes on to say the wages of sin is death. And I'm glad that verse didn't have a period there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says that God demonstrates his son for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to have your act together to come receive these elements. You just have to be willing to keep moving forward. It says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. My encouragement to you this morning is no matter where you're at, Jesus still loves you. He still wants to do miracles in you and use you even if you self-eliminated yourself from ever being used. So as you come forward, the worship team's going to play us worship song. Come forward and get the elements. Kneel, sit, but thank him for what he's done.